Hi, I'm Arun George and you're listening to 3 Things, the Indian Express news show. In today's episode, we're looking at the Uttar Pradesh government's decision to pass an ordinance aimed at ending what it says are forced religious conversions for marriage. And how that ordinance came on a day the state's high court spoke about the right of two consenting adults of any two religions to get married. But first, we're looking at the latest data concerning a very important COVID-19 vaccine candidate for India. On Monday, Oxford and AstraZeneca announced that the interim trial data from the crucial phase 3 trials have shown that its COVID-19 vaccine candidate is 70.4% effective. Dr. Cyrus Poonawala, the founder of Serum Institute of India, told the Indian Express that this vaccine candidate will be available very soon. Punawala said they would seek emergency marketing authorization for the vaccine in 45 days. But why is this vaccine candidate, which is undergoing trials in India currently, a closely watched candidate? Where does it stand next to other vaccine candidates like Pfizer and Moderna that claim to have over 90% efficacy? To answer these questions and more, we're now speaking with the Indian Express's Prabha Raghavan, who has been closely tracking the development of vaccines for COVID-19. We started by asking Prabha why this vaccine candidate is particularly important to India. The biggest reason that the Oxford vaccine candidate is more relevant for India is because out of Pfizer, Moderna and uh, AstraZeneca and Oxford, this is the candidate that has actually seen a tie-up with an Indian manufacturer. So Serum Institute of India has a tie-up with AstraZeneca and Oxford, which University of Oxford, which had jointly developed the vaccine. Um, And uh, Serum Institute basically is in charge of developing, testing, um, and making doses of this vaccine candidate for India, as well as nearly 100 other low- and middle-income countries. So that's the biggest reason why this is more relevant and more closely watched for India. But another major factor is the temperature at which the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines have to be stored. Its cold storage requirements are much less demanding than than that of Pfizer and Moderna's. So Pfizer requires you to have nearly cryogenic levels of deep freezers to actually store the vaccine so that its stability doesn't change, so that it is still effective and potent when it is injected. And Moderna requires a a deep freeze storage of negative 20 degrees, which is what we have for maybe the polio vaccines that we administer in our national immunization program. But we also have to remember that the polio vaccines that we administer would probably not be more than 30 million doses a year. So the capacity that we have for storing such vaccines will be much less than what is required for a COVID-19 mass vaccination program, um, which would require you to have enough storage for hundreds of millions of doses. And that gets rid of that one hurdle that we're seeing in terms of do we have the infrastructure that is required to actually store and distribute these vaccines. Since the data from the trials has started coming in, one number that's being touted a lot is the efficacy of the vaccine. Pfizer and Moderna have said that the efficacy of their vaccine candidates are over 90%. Oxford AstraZeneca says that their vaccine candidates' efficacy is over 70%. But what does this number mean? What is the efficacy of a vaccine? The efficacy of a vaccine will basically tell you 
how many cases of symptomatic COVID, for example, can you prevent if you vaccinate several people with this particular candidate? So if it brings down the number of people who develop symptomatic COVID by, say, 90% or 95%, which is what we're seeing in, in the case of Pfizer and Moderna, it's about 945 to 95% in terms of efficacy, then in a way, yes, you can say that it is effective in reducing the number of COVID cases that we see. But there are other aspects that play into how effective a vaccine is. And um, we've learned that from some experts like Dr. Gaganbeep Kang, who says, you know, if you have a vaccine that has a 90% efficacy, but the effects of that vaccine last for, say, a limited number of times. So say if it is, if it's only lasting about six months, but on the other hand, you have another vaccine that it, that has an efficacy of about 60%, but the effects of that vaccine last about 10 years. Wouldn't the 60% efficacy vaccine in effect be more effective for a vaccination program in a country like India, right? However, Prabha says that efficacy isn't the only data point that matters when it comes to vaccines. The data released by the firms also shows that the efficacy of the vaccine candidate changes based on the dosage given to people. In the case of the Oxford vaccine candidate in the UK, they studied those who received half a dose of the vaccine and then a full dose of the vaccine. It found that symptomatic COVID-19 cases among them had come down by 90%. But when they gave two full doses to people in Brazil, the efficacy was found to fall to around 62%. Compared to the Pfizer and the Moderna vaccine, we can't really do an apples-to-apples comparison over here because we also don't really know what parameters each company has been studying to announce their efficacy. You know, are they looking at, you know, how many severe cases they can reduce? Are they looking at how many mild cases that they can reduce um, by giving this vaccine? Is that a marker of their efficacy? Or are they maybe looking at, you know, does our vaccine have the ability to prevent transmission of the virus in itself? And that's a major finding that we're seeing from the preliminary results of the Oxford AstraZeneca candidate. Preliminary information is showing that the vaccine may have the ability to prevent transmission of even the asymptomatic cases. So maybe if you get vaccinated with this candidate, you might end up protecting yourself from the infection in itself and not just preventing yourself from developing symptoms. And so we also have to understand that the the comparison between these candidates can't really be closely made until we see the data that they release in scientific publications, and that's going to take a while. But in the case of the Oxford vaccine candidate trials, what does a full dose and half dose mean? Does it mean you will still have to take two injections of the COVID-19 vaccine? All of these vaccines, uh, the Pfizer vaccine, the Moderna vaccine, and even the Oxford candidate, they are all two-dose vaccines. When I say half a dose, that just means the strength of of the vaccine or, or the potency of the vaccine. In the first injection that they're giving you, they're going to give you, you know, X number of virus particles to help you develop an immune response. And then in the second shot, they're going to give you twice the amount 
of what they gave you in the first shot. So the packaging will still be the same. You will still have to take two shots of the vaccine. And that's why we call it two doses. But the strength of, of the vaccine in each dose will vary. In the case of, uh, and this again depends on, on what, what vaccine dosage we decide to go with. If in India, if we decide to go with a full dose, full dose vaccine, the strength in each vaccine will be the same. Um, the efficacy might be lower than what we're seeing with the, the half dose, full dose, but, but it will still be a two-shot vaccine. So Prabha, you've also been speaking with experts about the various data that's been coming out about these various vaccine candidates. What is it that they say we need to be cautious about? Or what is it that they say still needs to be seen? The thing that all experts, um, regardless of whether they are vaccine scientists or public health experts who've been looking at these developments, the one thing that all of them have been saying is we haven't really seen the data that actually comes with these headline numbers. We have to remember that the Pfizer information, the Moderna information, and the Oxford information, which was um, announced on Monday, all of these efficacy readouts are press releases. These are announcements that they've made saying, okay, you know what, we've tested our vaccine on these many people, and uh, this is the gist of what we have seen. But what scientists and what experts need to see is the granular data that comes with it. You know, they need to see various parameters that are involved in the process of testing these vaccines and, you know, how much maybe they've managed to reduce the number of cases by or what, what other trends are they seeing in the effectiveness or the efficacy of the vaccine that they've been testing. And all of this information is going to be published in scientific journals so that other experts and other scientists can actually go through it and see, you know, does, does this information make sense? Has it been presented accurately? So they will peer review it. And um, until and unless we see that granular information published in a scientific journal, until we see the data sets that, that scientists can analyze, we can't really be too excited about any of these results because we, we don't really know what the fine print is. There are also so many other questions that remain in the minds of a lot of these experts from looking at these headline numbers. We don't really know, and this is not just for the, the Oxford candidate, these are for all of the vaccine candidates. Do we, do we really know whether this vaccine will work on people who are immunocompromised? Are these vaccines going to be safe for pregnant women? What is their safety record, really? Do we have enough information to talk about that? And the biggest burning question, again, how long will the protection that you gain from this vaccine last? India Serum Institute is already stockpiling doses of the vaccine, even as trials are on in the country. How will the vaccine be rolled out if it does clear trials? Uh, the rollout of any COVID vaccine, for that matter, is still a mystery for most experts in the country. That is a question that they have been asking for more transparency on from the government, because the government that is in charge of planning and mapping out 
the capacities that we have and figuring out, you know, what the priority groups are, how we're actually going to give this vaccine to the priority groups. If it's healthcare workers, you know, are we going to look at a program that vaccinates all healthcare workers at the same time across the country, or will we go state by state? These are all questions that still remain unanswered. From the side of the company, what they're saying is at least initially, we will have enough for the priority groups um, to get vaccinated. And by February, they might be able to ramp up the monthly production capacity from about 50 to 60 million doses a month to about 100 million doses a month. And that's something we have to keep a close watch on because um, we'll have to see how many doses we can have available from the company's side. But at the same time, we also have to understand, does India have the infrastructure to store all these doses? Do we have the number of trained personnels required to actually administer these vaccines? And do we have enough last mile connectivity? You know, do we have enough trucks to transport them? Do we have enough, you know, uh, portable refrigerators in very rural, hard to reach areas to actually be able to deliver this vaccine to target groups in those areas? And that's something we still don't have enough clarity on. While the Oxford vaccine candidate is the most closely watched, there are five other candidates that are at different stages of trials in India. What happens if there's more than one good vaccine available against COVID-19? Given the fact that we don't really know how much infrastructure we have readily available or how many trained personnel we have readily available, that is going to be a matter of concern. And uh, this is something that the Public Health Foundation of India's president, Dr. K. Srinath Reddy, has also raised as a concern. He says, look, um, I see the rollout of a vaccine uh, happening in three phases. And in the first phase, it will be easier to administer a vaccine because you're going to have a limited quantity of a vaccine and it will probably only be manufactured by one company. Prabha says that if there's just one vaccine being administered, shortlisted priority groups can get the vaccine first. All existing infrastructure for storing and distributing the vaccine will then be directed towards that one vaccine. But there are challenges even with this system. Given, you have to give an individual one dose of the vaccine and then ensure they get the booster dose in 28 days or earlier. That only gets more complicated if you have the issue of giving half and full doses. Now imagine there are multiple vaccines that need the same scale of distribution networks. But when you have maybe two or three companies that are manufacturing hundreds of millions of doses of a vaccine every month, and you still have that limited capacity that you had in the first phase of vaccination, that's going to be a problem because you might have to have more people that you need to train to up your capacity of people who can administer the vaccine. You might need to increase your cold storage capacity, which again is something that the government says it is working on, but we don't really know where they are at with that. We don't know how private companies are being looped in to support this process. We don't know if they are going to collaborate with hospitals, with private hospitals that have offered to help in the vaccination process. So there are so many questions that remain unanswered that at least in the second phase, by the time the second phase does occur, when we have a higher quantity of supply, we might not 
really know whether we are geared up to actually carry out a larger vaccination program unless these questions are resolved or unless we have more transparency on what exactly the government is doing where these issues are concerned. Before we get to the next segment, I just wanted your quick attention. One of the big reasons people say that they like this show is because it helps them understand the news better. It provides them with the context they need to see the bigger picture. And there's perhaps no other place that does this better than the Indian Express's explained section. We on three things refer to the section regularly and it helps us make this show. If you're a regular reader of the newspaper, you know how useful the explained section can be, especially when you're looking for in-depth analysis by the right experts. You can log into indianexpress.com/explained and access their coverage 24/7. Explained by the Indian Express. When news that matters is explained by experts who know the subject. Now back to the show. आज योगी जी की कैबिनेट ने एक बड़ा फैसला लिया है और इसको उत्तर प्रदेश विधि विरुद्ध धर्म संपरिवर्तन प्रतिषेध अध्यादेश 2020 के नाम से कहा जाएगा और आने वाले समय में The Uttar Pradesh government approved a draft ordinance that it said would tackle forced religious conversions for marriage. The minister who announced the state government's decision did not say it explicitly. but the ordinance is believed to be against what many hindu groups allege is a campaign to convert hindu women to islam a campaign they claim is funded from abroad and call love jihad despite many bjp ruled states proposing such laws and ordinances in the past weeks uttar pradesh has become the first one to enact an ordinance so far an official spokesperson for the government said that the punishment under this new ordinance ranges from 1 to 5 years if the woman involved is a minor or belongs to a scheduled caste or scheduled tribe The jail term will range between 3 to 10 years. The Uttar Pradesh government's decision comes a day after its own police force failed to find any evidence of an internationally funded campaign in its latest probe into multiple interfaith marriages. The Indian Express's Manish Sahu had reported how a special investigation team that was set up to probe 14 alleged cases of love jihad found no evidence of a conspiracy funded from abroad. The team also dismissed the charges that the youths had the backing of any organization. The ordinance came on the same day the Allahabad High Court said that two adults are free to choose their partner and it is their right to freedom of choice as to whom they would like to live with. The court made the observation while quashing an FIR filed against a Muslim man by the father of a Hindu woman he had married. Another bench of the Allahabad High Court had earlier observed that conversion just for the purpose of marriage is unacceptable. It's a judgment that was cited by the Uttar Pradesh government as well justifying the ordinance. However the latest judgment by a two judge bench observed that that previous judgment was not good law. The Uttar Pradesh ordinance also says that individuals are free to change their religion after marriage. But that's only after a district magistrate is informed 2 months in advance and after permission is granted. The Allahabad High Court incidentally observed in its judgment that the right to live with a person of his or her choice irrespective of religion professed by them is intrinsic to the right to life and personal liberty. You were listening to the three things by the Indian Express. Today's show was written and produced by me, Arun George, and as always, was edited and mixed by our producer Joshua Thomas. Before we go, here's another reminder to check out Indian Express's Explained page. You can log on to indianexpress.com/explained and find in-depth analysis by the right experts. It has everything you need to know to understand the news better and see the bigger picture. If you like the show, then do subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. 
You can also recommend the show to someone you think will like it. Share it with a friend or someone in your family. It's the best way for people to get to know about us. You can also tweet us at Express Audio and write to us at podcast at indianexpress.com.